Hi and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature Podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In this episode, I am talking to Amber Reinhardt. Amber is an MYP coordinator in an international school in Accra, an MYP workshop leader, an IB site visitor, MYP personal project examiner, and teaches language and literature, as well as individuals and societies. I was really keen to speak to someone as experienced and knowledgeable as Amber, owing to the many valuable but demanding aspects that the MYP framework has to offer. We discuss a short introduction to Amber's career to date, whether Amber recommends combining the likes of analytical and producing text strands from the outset of English MYP, or waiting until these respective skills have been developed and therefore consolidated, how to marry grasps with the assessment strands when aiming for valid and reliable assessments, how teachers can ensure they are covering global contexts in the same depth as they would related or disciplinary concepts, my school's recent struggles with criterion B3 and the need to assess formatting and or referencing twice a year in the curriculum. And finally, what Amber thinks is the best approach to implementing ATLs in individual units and the curriculum holistically. Thank you again to Amber who speaks with a fantastic degree of balance, nuance and passion about the curriculum as well as her ongoing contribution to IB's online community of teachers. If you want to be kept up to date on when educational chat like this happens, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast and or follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. Okay, Amber, uh, if you don't mind, could you please give us a short introduction to your career to date in education, please? Uh, absolutely. So. My name is Amber Reinhardt, and I'm currently the MYP coordinator at the Lincoln Community School in Accra, Ghana. Um, I started in education in the year 2000. I actually was working for the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., and it was my dream job, and inevitably I hated it. Um, I hated D.C., I hated the hierarchy. I actually, I didn't like, uh, I like going to museums, but I don't actually like working in museums. Um so I went home and ended up substitute to, uh, substitute teaching and um, ended up at the job fair in in Boston and uh, went to Cambodia for my first uh, my first teaching job and it was a newly um, NYP school um, and then was in Cambodia um, briefly went back to the states to get certified and to get my master's um, in education and then went back out and actually was in Ghana. Um, as well, where I met um, my my German my German husband, um, and we have been in uh, Uganda. We uh, taught in Bangladesh. Um, we ended up in a sabbatical in Berlin, where he is from, for a couple of years, and we are back in Ghana, which is just a wonderful cyclical part of the world, a uh, cyclical part of our life. And um, we now have two kids and a and a dog who's traveled uh, more than more than most people, I think. But um, yeah, so we're back in Ghana. And we've been here for a few years, and we're very very happy to be back um, on the continent and back in IV school. Wow, what an incredible um, set of experiences! Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Um, so I, I, I was like really keen to sort of talk to you because, um, with the MYP, it's, it's a, it's a relatively new curriculum to me. Um, and I, I think every new aspect of it, I, I read in not every new aspect, but every aspect of it, I, I read into, and I know that we need to kind of enshrine within the curriculum really fascinates me and interests me and I go and I read it and I think just the challenge is bringing all these different things together bringing mm -hmm. AT, uh, approaches to learning in and, and global contexts and inquiry as a methodology and um, you know service academic honesty all these different things so um, yeah I was really keen to, to to, to chat to you about like your experiences with these things. And the first, I guess the first question that I was keen to understand more about was in English, I suppose in any, this is the case in any subject, but in English, you obviously have the, you know, A, B, C, D um, criteria. You've got analyzing, organizing, producing text and language. Um, would your recommendation be that um, you combine like criterion A analysis and producing texts. So C, um, mm -hmm. strands from the outset or wait until these respective skills mm -hmm. have been developed and therefore consolidated. So to give you, I suppose, an example, is it better to start year seven off straight away 
give them a few strands from A, a few strands from B, a few strands with C, D, which I know is typical in maybe design or something like that. Um, or is it better to see A and C as two bespoke, uh, two respective things to be treated, you know, separately for a while? What what would you say for that, Amber? It's a great question, right? And you use the example of design and design is a process, right? It's a secular process and every assessment has to go through that, that process. It's like the personal project, right? That it's this stage and then this stage and then this stage. Um, you know, Langenlet is is not like that. Um, and some of our other subjects are, are not like that. Um, there are processes within um, our, our criteria, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are all separate as well. And you've asked two questions there, right? It's sort of like, when should we, you know, should we bring them together? And when should we do that? Um, and, you know, assessment is super complex. And I think that, you know, you know, when you look at, um, you know, MYP teachers, we're, we're asking a lot of them, right? We're asking them to really, in the end, like build learners, right? Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's a framework of a curriculum, right? And that curriculum itself, and that, you know, that, that framework itself involves everything, what it means to know who they are and know how and know how to learn. And that's actually why the MYP even started, right? Diploma was first, I think in like the 60s or 70s. Um, it was actually schools in Africa that um, were diploma schools in Tanzania, um, these uh, uh, United World Colleges. And they, a lot of the teachers sort of got together in East Africa and they were like, well, you know, the programs that we have to set up for the diploma are not preparing our students for the diploma and for the exams. So they're actually the ones in sort of the eighties that kind of created the MYP. And it wasn't until the nineties that it was fully implemented. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively new um, in that sense. And, you know, and, and, you know, and, and it's, but it's really, you know, it was so avant-garde in the nineties, right? I mean, you think about where we are today and, you know, when we're at criterion reference learning, you know, learning how to learn, like, I mean, we, that's sort of like that falls off of our tongue as educators, but it certainly wasn't, you know, back in the nineties. And so, um, and, and, you know, and what they, what they asked teachers to do was to be curriculum writers, right. As, as well. And I think that, you know, when we look at assessment, um, the, the criterion are set up that they, they align with the objectives, right? What do we want students to, to learn and know and be able to do and understand? And then what is the tool that we'll use to assess them on that? Right. So that's why they're completely aligned. Um, and then, you know, you look at something like, like Lang and Lit and, you know, you know, as a, as a new, I mean, I've been in the MIP for 20 some odd years, right? So it's hard for me to be like, you know, remember when, but, you know, I think for, uh, you know, as an MIP coordinator, I am training new teachers that come into our school who've never been in the, in the program or the ID system before. Mm-hmm. And the most complex part is always the assessment criteria. That's what we start with. Right. If teachers can't assess their students with the criteria, then they we, we can't we can't do the program. Right. So that's really the basic of what we start with. Like MIP is good teaching and we, you know, we bring in good teachers anyway. So I'm not worried about that, but it is the assessment criteria. And it is meant to be, particularly in our Lang Inlet subjects or our individuals and in society subjects, right? Or that it is meant to be a collective piece of learning. The strands are not, it's not like a standard, right? This isn't a standard basis curriculum. This is a criterion reference curriculum where those strands are just one part of what it means to be knowing and learning. It's why we don't give individual strand levels on our report. Mm-hmm. We, we just, you know, we give a criterion C, right? A criterion A. And when you look at something like Lang and Lit, where you have both producing and analyzing, you know, we often think of those, those are very different things, right? There's very different aspects of it. And I think, you know, to, to go back to your question about when should we start, you know, you know I think in, in, you know, in year seven or year grade six or year one MIP, right? We're just trying to get those students to understand what it means to be assessed in this way, mm. particularly if they're coming from a PYP you know, P, uh, from PYP, right? Where they, they're really focused on the approaches to learning and maybe they're standards-based, right? But they don't have criterion like this. And so we really get them to understand about what we're asking them to do and how we're assessing them. And I think once you move up, the, you know, the idea of the four criteria are, are to have these not complicated, but complex assessments that can, can assess all the strands in mm-hmm. all the criteria together. And so when you look at something like, Lang and Lit, where you have analyzing and producing, you know, I've seen some amazing assessments where students are writing their own poetry and then analyzing it. Yeah. 
you know, they're, you know, they're creating something and then analyzing, you know, the techniques or the effects, right? So you look at some of the diploma, you know, Lang and Lit um, internal assessments or ex even paper one, right? They're asking students to look at a piece of work and analyze it for, you know, author's technique and the techniques that are, that are used in that piece of work. Mm. Well, let's have a student, do it. you know, let's have them write a pastiche and then write a rationale. Right. And then, you know, so they're they're writing their own piece of work and then they're analyzing, you know, why they did that. What are the choices that they made as an author as well? So it is it is definitely possible. And I do think um, that it is it, it is difficult to do it in the first couple of years. <laughs> so. yeah. I think it definitely prioritizes you can um, if you're lucky enough to work in a school where you've got the five year, the, the full kind of hit of NYP from NYP one to NYP year five, I can really see that kind of progression from, you know, year one through to year five, where even if I, I could even see it with year, let's say, yeah, like NYP year one, if you started off with maybe the first two, three yeah. units and you build towards the sense that you do have a, you know, more of a kind of um, a hybrid unit at the end of that year. I think I think that's certainly possible. So by extension, once you move into NYP year two, year three, by year three, you would think that they're, you know, really confident, yeah. really, you know, able to do it. So, but do you, so yeah. you think in in terms of the initial kind of lead into NYP, it's, it's important for them to understand what is meant by, analyzing in relation to those strands and what is meant by producing text and stuff yeah i can i can i can see that um and then you so you mentioned the uh, assessment there Amber, i'm, I'm mm. not sure how like i think like the gold i think the gold standard in our school i think what we would like to be able to do eventually um in terms of what the the nyp coordinator would like is for there to, to for there not to be this big huge assessment at the end of a six to eight week cycle it's like it's more the case of well you know when are they ready to do it and and how do they want it to be and take ownership over over those things so I think that that's obviously another consideration for another time maybe but um if you are working with the concept of or maybe you can maybe you'll put me right on this but um if you are working towards the the idea that they're doing something in six to eight weeks time um, a kind of an, a thing, a suggestion that's been made um, the, with workshops that I've been to before is this idea of the grasps. So giving students a goal, a role, an audience, a situation, a product, and the standards. Um, wh whenever you've come across that, Amber, is that in relation to a one-off product being produced? Mm -hmm. Um, or is that something that they're considering all the way through, you know, the, uh, the process and it might not necessarily come out as one big, um, thing at the end, but yeah, to what extent, um, cause it is very challenging, uh, when, when you're trying to like create a valid and reliable assessment, where, where do you stand on implementing grasps and what would be your advice for schools who expect to implement them? No, it's a, it's a great question, you know, and I've been both at workshops for 20 years and have led those workshops for 20 years. And there's always, always a grasp assessment, right? That's in there. And it's definitely is um, the IB has sort of literally grasped on to, to that. And I, and I, and I like it, right. They've also mm. used this term authentic assessment. Mm. And, you know, I've, and, you know, we, when we also throw out the other, you know, term is that real world. And I have such, and I, this is a personal thing, but I have such a hard time with that. Um, with that topic, because what we're what we're saying to students is this an assessment that's the real world. So you just wait till you get into that real world when you graduate. What, what are you talking about? Like they're in their real world. Like yeah. is their real world? Like they don't like another one. It doesn't like start all of a sudden when they're eighteen and they're and they're off. Like this is there. So anyway, so I don't I don't like to use the term real world, um, because it like yeah they're they're not in a fake one. So anyway, so so there's my little soapbox. I appreciate the the platform <laughs> for it. But um, this idea of of authenticity within our assessments, I think is, is a much more interesting conversation where that's the umbrella and then grass uh, comes under that. And authentic assessments are assessments that we are preparing our students for. And, you know, we, we you know, MYP likes project-based learning. And I think that's really important because it's about process, right? We want, we want students to learn how to learn, which is the really the whole point of our program, learn how to learn and learn who to be, right? We're creating humans as well, um, or at least influencing them. 
um, is that uh, we we can't set them up for failure when they get to the diploma and they have to sit for you know hours exams and we haven't mm. done any of that. So an authentic assessment is also looking at you know the the IAs and you know and really sort of when we look at that vertical alignment with our diploma students or even you know, even if they're AP, right, we may not have diploma in our school, but they're certainly going to be sitting exams at some point in their life. And so we have to be able to have those are authentic assessments, right? These sort of mini versions or smaller versions, or, you know, a little bit like we're doing something or at least a formative where they can practice mm-hmm. some of those skills. Um, and I think there's there's three points I want to make. So that's one is that actually giving students these practice, um, you know, either IAs or, you know, or EAs or the external assessments is, is a valid authentic assessment in the middle years program. Um, the other, uh, comment I wanted to make about grasps is that project-based learning is, again, it's a complex assessment that takes a lot of time and not everybody has that time, right? We, I mean, we're, I don't know if lucky is the, is the right adjective, but, you know, in Ghana, we are not beholden to state standards, right? Or, or federal standards. And a lot of MYP schools are that there is a, like, there is a curriculum, there are standards, there are things that they do have to get through. And I use air quotes for our, our, our on-air listeners, <laughs> right? That they have, they have to do, what they're required to do, right? For their, so they, you know, when you look at some of these grasp assessments, they, they do, they take time. Um, and, and assessment takes time. I don't want to say that, like, you know, we should just be like assessment should be fast and quick, right? Because we also know that um, one of my favorite, I believe it's a British thing, um, is you don't fatten a pig by weighing it, right? Students don't get better at your class because you're assessing them more. You know, they don't, they don't like learn the skills more just because we've, you know, we've given them more assessments either. Um, And then to go back to then to this, this grasps concept um, is that, you know, I mean, just recently in the news, right? The, you know, what is it? The chat GRT, whatever that can yeah. write everybody's TOK essay now, right? It's like, you know, how are we creating assessments that really cannot be plagiarized? So yeah. I think that's much more of the interesting question for us to, to you know, to ask. And I, and I know we need to make our subjects relevant, right? That's different than real world, right? We have to make it relevant to the students sitting in front of us. Um, and whether that's, you know, that they can see themselves in that curriculum, that they can see the potential for themselves curriculum, or they can see their peers around them, right, is another way um, to make it relevant. But also, like, what are we asking students to do with their learning? Um, You know, it it makes me, I mean, I think about some of the projects, you know, that I've done as a teacher that students have been most interested in are always services action, always, always, always. Mm -hmm. It always comes back to when doing something within the community, Right. Because then it, it is relevant. And it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, these are these are people who live in my community and like I'm learning something from them. And they're also right there. Um, I can also um, help them learn something or help help them or do something for them that that is needed. Right? And I think that that's a really, really important part. So I think grasps and in and of itself is a model that can work really, really well in some ways. You know, I've seen our grade six science teacher, you know, say, um, you know, they're looking at, um, they're looking at seeds and plants, you know, and sort of the, the, the water cycle. And they're like, okay, so, you know, the minister of agriculture, you know, has come and said, we're looking at watermelons as a potential cash crop for Ghana, you know, let's, we're going to have to plant some and we're going to plant some in different, you know, environments to see if it actually would be feasible. Right. And that's mm. it. So that's a graph. I mean, totally a grasp, right. Right. Straight from the start and it, but it works. Right. So it works. And I think sometimes we, we can't force grasped onto students, you know, or we can't make it, you know, inauthentic or harmful, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times when I was growing up, it's like, you know, pretend, I don't know, like you're trying to think of like the, one of the worst examples possible, but it's like, you know, write a diary, you know, from, from the example, right. From the perspective of an enslaved person, like that's a traumatic experience where people are like, no, that's not authentic assessment. That's not a a grasped assessment. I think we need to be careful about you know, when we put our students in situations about the, you know, this authentic real world that we also are, you know, are, are, are making sure that we're not harming them as well. Yeah. I think this, the, the, the bot thing has definitely been like a topic of conversation um, the last few days. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and, and yeah, there was, it, it was quite a, it's an unsettling thing, isn't it? To, yeah. to think that mm-hmm. you've said, you know, you've spent years and years and years sort of, training students to do something that might become obsolete overnight. But um, I think with regard to this grasps thing, I think sometimes it falls into place so easily. So for example, 
with year eight, you know, we have a unit related to culture and expressing one's culture and, and understanding the reason why you, you might think you understand someone else's culture, but it's actually quite superficial elements of a culture and why you should always try and communicate the more intrinsic elements of your culture and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And in terms of, and it, not blah, 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 it's a very important concept, but the, the grasps thing is related to having um, almost like a TEDx. We tell them it's like TEDx, you know, our huh. school, um, and you're going to do this thing. And it, they get into it so quickly and we film it and we live stream it. And all that is, it's so lovely. It's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's one of the highlights of the year thing to do. The difficulty comes when it's a little bit earlier in NYP, perhaps like going back to what we said before about sometimes you need to focus more on the analysis or more on, the producing texting doesn't tend to be as much of a an inhibitor. It's when you're focusing more on analysis and it provokes quite an interesting mm-hmm. conversation amongst teachers about where does analysis happen now? Because we don't really want them to just do an essay. And an essay is an important thing, but we want them to be able to connect where the language or where language and literature now happens in the real world, so to mm-hmm. speak. So we can talk about podcasts we can talk about like blogs we can talk about but it's a relatively limited scope of mm-hmm. of things and I've, I've found that coming in you know and it is an ongoing conversation and we're all committed to making sure that we find those places that literature analysis is happening and, and that kind of thing at least you know for these assessments in lower down the years in year seven and maybe year eight um, but I, I have seen in the past um, in certain kind of institutions or, or teacher conversations where it's almost like the entire unit is planned out and they think, you know, ultimately I just want them to write an essay and we start retrofitting a superficial or synthetic grasps to it. So role, yes. yeah. you are a student creating yeah. a you know and it's it's almost like even if you're the one who's done it even if, if even if you're the one who's come up with this this thing and you're explaining yeah. it to the student, yeah. you, you know you explain it to the students the students are looking at you like what are you talking about and then <laughs> other members of your team are not so I think the grasp mm-hmm. thing I think that that is the challenge where when the expectations of the student are more narrow, purely because, you know, they're relatively novice mm-hmm. learners, that I think that's where the challenge comes in a little bit more. Um, but it's interesting to hear what you say about, um, you know, we, we we shouldn't feel limited by grasps and they are, they're a vehicle to authentic assessment. They're not, you know, I've, I've never felt like they're supposed to be handcuffs or that, you know, they're any sort of like restraint or anything, but I think, a certain amount of pragmatism is probably um necessary i guess yeah um no, it just, you i want to uh, sorry if i can add to your point hmm. um and i think this is really, really important because we're asking mip teachers to be curriculum writers and particularly assessment writers right as well is that just because it's an activity doesn't mean the student learned anything through it right so yeah. when we're asking students to do something we have to make sure that like we're what are we how are we asking them to show their learning and what what have we taught them that that we know that they have learned, right? Because just because you know we talk about teaching and learning together all the time, and you know oftentimes we hear our teachers say, "Well, I, I already taught that." Yeah, but did they <laughs> learn it, right? And like that's like that's the real question that we have to. And how do you know they learned it? And so you know when we look at like so some of the examples that you gave, you know, like um, one we can make inauthentic grasp tests, right? Imagine you're a student like sitting in an exam and a teacher asks you this question, like, "Well, yeah, that that actually is what's happening." But in an exam it's an authentic assessment task. So I think we need mm. to take that away. But the idea, I think, too, for MIP is we need to be able to assess students in a variety of ways to ensure that we are getting a full picture of the student's achievement. And when we only have one means of assessment, we're not getting a full picture of their mm. achievement. Um, you know, an assessment works in the way that, you know, MIP grading, you know, works is that it is the highest level that students can achieve over time in the year in your course. And Mm -hmm. if we imagine it as a metaphor of, you know, riding a bike, you know, in the beginning, that student couldn't balance, 
right? In this particular year level, right? Or whatever, whatever. They, they couldn't pedal, right? So they're learning all those skills. And at the end, you know, they're doing flips and tricks and whatnot. So it's not, we don't want to penalize them for where they were in the beginning. That's why we don't average, right? That's why we don't, right? We don't go back. We don't give zeros for things, right? Or that kind of thing, right? Um, but but where we were really looking at is what is the highest level of achievement over a time? And have, have they learned what we have indeed taught them and planned? So I think that, um, you know, when we look at these assessments, is the assessment task assessing like what we what we've asked students to do, right? And I think that that's a really important question, and um, we don't often, or I don't think we do that enough, right? I don't. I think we yeah. analyze, we standardize student work all the time, right? I mean, it's one thing that's very typical in schools where we go through standardization of student work. All the teachers understand. Yes, this is a five. This is a seven. This is a two. Right? Good. We have a common understanding. But to go back to that assessment task and evaluate the task itself is something that I think needs to be done more of. Yeah. I think, and I think that goes both ways. I think you can, there is that, there is that, you know, performance versus knowledge in long-term memory, like that distinction. And it goes both Mm -hmm. ways in the sense that you can, I've seen it before relatively recently, like teach them, they're really confident. You're formatively assessing them. You present this yeah. situation to them. You are a, and just cognitively, they are overloaded straight away. And they're like, hold on, I'm writing a diary. Why am I? We didn't. But all of a sudden they're writing a diary. It's like, yeah. don't worry, don't worry. It's exactly the same as what we've been doing, but it's not. And, or it goes the other way. I agree. Yeah. And it's just, they just do essay, story, speech, essay, story, speech, essay, story. And it's, <laughs> It's not really, you know, it's, and I understand why schools mm-hmm. might do that because they look ahead to IGCSE if they do IGCSE or, or A-level or whatever. And it's, but yeah, it, it, it does go both ways. Um, okay. Well, that was, yeah. I think with um, another part of, you know, bringing all these things together um, other than assessment, when, when you're obviously doing the planning, um, I really love the, related concepts i suppose in the uk Mm -hmm. you would refer to them as disciplinary concepts um Mm -hmm. and that has taken that's only come become popular in the uk state system in the last four or five years and that's obviously been in the nyp for you know decades now i think that's really good um but with regard to the um the global context that we that we also have to focus on they obviously form a key part of a unit's statement of inquiry. How do you sort of recommend teachers ensure that they're covering these, the global contacts, in the same depth as those related or disciplinary subject concepts? Right. I mean, it's a it's a great question. Um, and, and you know, again, we go back to that that idea that our teachers are curriculum writers, and, mm. and when the global context is chosen, it is a choice. Right. And it's a choice for a reason because it enables the unit itself and the content and the skills that we are delivering to be placed in a context. Right. Like, why has that teacher or that group of teachers or that court, right? Why have they decided that this is important? Right. Because it can, our, our content and our, you know, our school, they can be important in many different ways. Right. The novels that we choose to teach or the, you know, all the, all the different texts that we choose, like whatever we're doing, our anchor text, like, we've chosen, first of all, we've made that choice on what the anchor text is going to be if we, if that's how we plan our units. Right. And then we, we've also checked like, and then the, the other text around it, right. That help us understand the concepts, right. This is where this idea looks like in this poem, or it looks like in this obituary, right. Or it looks like in this advert, right. So we've, we've using multiple text types, right. To show where this idea looks like in other ways, but we've, we've given it context. We've, we've grounded it in something um, because, you know, you know, you know, back in the, you know, when we first started teaching, when I first started teaching, right, you know, content was king, right? It always is, right? And then we lost that and it's only concepts. And then we're sort of back into understanding that like concepts don't make any sense unless they're grounded. Yeah. Right. I don't understand conflict. I have an example, right? So it's like, you know, and I think that, you know, or, or what are the different ways of conflict, right? What is, you know, what is, you know, conflict can be, you know, it can go everything from war to manipulation to, you know, to, you know, me and my, my kids having a fight, you know, so it's like conflict looks very, very different in different ways. Right. And, but the, but the concept of conflict, right. Is, doesn't make any sense unless we, unless we ground them. And that's what I think the the global context do for us. We've made a choice, 
right? And we've chosen to go through the lens of fairness and development, right? Mm. We've chosen to go through that lens. We don't have to, right? I don't have to, I don't have to show, right, this, this unit through that lens, but that's what I've chosen to do and chosen to, and again, and it can change, right? I think that, you know, also we have to remember that curriculum is something that we write and, you know, God, thank God it's done. My unit plan is done, you know, like, right. But it's, it's living. And I think that yeah. that's also really, really hard sometimes, right. Particularly, you know, some of us who worked in, you know, federal district or state districts, right. Where it's like, you're given, here's your curriculum. I go through it. Here's lesson one. Right. And this is so, you know, I think that we have to remember that, you know, who, who are the students in front of us? What do they need? Right. And what's relevant to them? And then how do I, how do I frame this? Right. So that it, it is that way so that they care about it. Right. Cause I, th- that's why I chose it. Cause I care about this, or I think that this is important to this. So we've made a value judgment. And then, so once you've made that value judgment on what that, that context is, then you go through and then, because everything that you do is surrounding that. Cause that's what they're assessed on, right? Like you've chosen that you've said, this is your enduring understanding basically is what the statement of inquiry is, right? This is what you're going to know, understand. And then now we're going to like, now, now we're going to learn it, right? And you're going to be able to show me that learning and that summative assessment because that's directly related to that statement of inquiry. So, and then the particular instructional strategies, right, of how we do global context, I think varies from everything, you know, because it's like, well, I'm not assessing their, you know, their yeah. their global context, but we are because that's what we expect them to do in the summative. So it's like, how do we how do we introduce that context? How do we make sure that students understand what it is? The explorations, right? The addition of the explorations a few years ago have just been great, right? Because they give it, you know, global contexts are so general that they become, well, they must get meaningless, right? So they have to have meaning, right? So those explorations have helped really well. I mean, we often start, you know, either with a discussion on what it is, make sure there's a common understanding of it, right? That they, it's brought up like throughout, it's, you know, it's an iteration, right? It's not, it's not a linear process. If we're going to start here with global context, we're going to keep going back to that. Yeah. We're going to keep going back to that. And it's going to be brought up, you know, when, when it makes sense, when it makes sense. Right. So I think that it's not, you know, global context themselves um, are, are so important um, because we've given it that importance, I guess that's yeah. what I'm, yeah, what I'm trying to say, but I think that, you know, how we, how we teach it is it just has to, it has to be relevant to what we're discussing in that day. Right. I mean, there, it's always up, right. I mean, I, I would never walk into an MIP classroom and not see the global context up, right. Or what is this unit? Like, where's, where's the focus of our unit? So they always yeah. have that touchstone in the classroom to look at. Um, but it can't also dominate because, I mean, right. I mean, what we ask teachers to do, right? We ask them, right? You know, what is the content that you're doing? What are the skills you're doing, right? Like, what is what is the, the that understanding that you're doing? So we're asking teachers to do a lot anyway over the course of six to eight weeks. So it can't mm-hmm. always be there, but it should always be around. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it certainly is always there, but it's maybe not at the forefront of what you're doing in every right. given minute yeah mm-hmm. and again this is this is it's gained a lot of traction in the uk and i i, I don't think it's because of the ib it may, it may have been but i think they they refer to it as like a concept-based curriculum and they would refer to it as substantive concepts and disciplinary mm-hmm. concepts and it is fascinating i think mm-hmm. that's i think that would be the hardest thing to do in a, in a uk school to decide what are the substantive concepts like do we teach aesthetics do we teach you know human rights do we teach mm-hmm. so it is a, it is an absolute gift that the ib and the myp sort of framework give you those mm-hmm. uh six or so um you know global context to to go through as a team and 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 to implement so it is fantastic to to go from quite broad to incredibly niche um yes. it, Talking about the strands in uh, language and literature, I think it obviously is key to have a shared understanding of what every strand means in practice. Doesn't mean mm. it doesn't doesn't matter if you do an MYP or IGCSE or, or or anything, obviously. And I think all of them, within reason, don't require more than a couple of minutes conversation at most. But there is one. Um, that that we're having a continued conversation about, which is one of the organization strands B I I I yeah, yeah. B3, yeah. um, which yeah. is essentially yeah. the need to assess formatting and or referencing. Um and again, this is yeah. 
it it depends where you are up to in the continuum because i think if you if you are doing something where it's a research based thing so you might you know in year in year 9 year 10 11 you know myp year 3 4 5 and it is more free and you're sort of saying go away and and compile an argument you know related to human rights in 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 hong kong or what have you obviously you would want them to be aware of plagiarism or academic honesty or citing sources and these kind of things and it it makes it a lot more salient i guess in that case but but if it is one of those kind of more um narrow assessments lower down the years where they are just writing kind of like an analysis task or they might be they might be writing yeah like a rhetorical thing um how how do you or how have you seen that particular strand implemented over the years amber in terms of formatting and or referencing um in in units that are perhaps a little bit more narrow a little bit more designed for the lower year levels mm-hmm. um i'm i'm gonna start big and then i'm gonna come back to your question um okay. because i think with referencing um it's not a a subject area decision right this is e- either should be housed in the library or a school-wide decision. Mm. Lang and Lit teachers cannot themselves decide on what that is. And maybe the school decision has been that the humanities will use, you know, MLA, the sciences will use APA, this will use Chicago, you know, maybe they've made those decisions that we use different referencing systems across different subject areas because that's that's how they started, right? I mean, they started for be particular for particular types of sources that, the, that were used. And, um, but, you know, most schools have, They've made a decision. Um, you know, my school has made a decision that we will use M- the MLA format. And so, when you look across the subjects, um, sciences, individuals, and societies, and Lang and Lit have a strand for referencing. So there has to be a common understanding across departments. And if this is particularly grade level now, um, this is year level discussions about what do we expect our year our MYP one students to be to know mm. and be able to do as far as referencing. So there has to be there has to be a continuum of referencing skills that's agreed upon by those three departments, um, and then a, and then a common understanding of language. So one thing that we've done in our school it it actually was it started as a as as a um, departmental goal for the INS teachers, but it's been shared now and and it's shared across as a goal um, and a common understanding. We have a very simple one page um, matrix of um, skills and terms and when they're taught across um, year six through 10. Mm. So yes, our some of our PYP teachers, I should say, and we have we are a continuum school, PYP, MYP diploma. Um, and in PYP for the exhibition, um, our teachers are introducing the idea of like using URLs, right, for a list of references. So the so students have some idea of like why they do it, right? And what what is one aspect of that, right? So why why do I have to reference the, you know, the information that I've learned and then where, where would that go kind of thing? So it's a very, mm-hmm. you know, it's very general, but they started that. So they started that process. So when they come into year one MYP, it's not totally unfamiliar, but it is really unfamiliar, right? So, you know, our job as a, as a year one teacher and across right? Sciences, INS, and Langenlet. It's okay, what is the language that we use, right? Because in MLA, we don't use the language of bibliography, right? And although we hear it all the time, it is not, it's not a word that we use in MLA. So really talking about, you know, and then the purpose of it, like, why, why do we do that? So really getting into some of those was really, really basic skills. And I mean, teaching referencing, and I've been, you know, an INS and a Langenlet teacher um, for 20 some odd years. I am a type A personality. I am like, I'm a total, like my parents were, my mom was a copy editor. Like I pay attention to detail and I love it. Like I love, I know that should be a full stop and not a comma. You know what I mean? Like, I know, I know exactly like where those are because I've been doing it for, for so long. Um, but I, I do think um, that this is not something that departments can do in silos or departments can do um, on their own. So there has to have that. You first have to have that conversation across the subject areas to have an understanding of what is taught and when it's taught and what is what is the language that we use and what's the format that we use. So when you start there, so when you look at something like, like a year six, you're introducing vocabulary, mm. right? You're introducing some of the most basic and most used formats. 
right? Like you're, you know, you're either you're getting out a book and being like, okay, open it up. Like what, what, what is the title page? Like what's the type of information that we have to find, right? Like, cause it, it's all pretty much the same, right? They, and you know, so it's like, what is the type of information that we look for? Right. And, you know, it makes sense. You know, if there is a location in a book is, is a place, right? It's Hong Kong, it's New York, right? It's Berlin. Um, but then a, that's what a URL is. That's also a location, right? So when they understand conceptually, you know, what the information that goes in there, they can also understand what, what they have to look for. Um, and then, you know, the types of things that, you know, I would do as a, as a year one teacher, right. We would have, you know, I would have, I would, you know, I would have the entire reference on like a sentence strip and cut it up and be like, okay, you have a minute, a minute to win it. Right. And the groups mm-hmm. would be in small groups and they'd have to like put it together in the right order. Right. Or like, you know, cause they, just to get them familiar with it. I don't expect students to memorize, like I don't ever want them to memorize, right? It, right. We don't ever expect students to be, to be tested on, you know, exactly where that punctuation goes or what that order is, but they have to be able to be familiar with it to know conceptually what goes in there and then to check it, right. To go back to, you know, um, we use Purdue a lot, the online um, writing yeah. lab, we use theirs as like our common Right, our common place for 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 resources, and they go back and then check it there, right, or so something. So I think that it's, you know, still it's yeah. I wouldn't expect students, yeah, to know everything, but it. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's a skill that we have to teach, right? It's one of the strands we have. I mean, we are. It's expected of our curriculum, right? It's part of it's part of our subject area, and if we're not starting it in year one. Right. We're setting up students to, you know, be be shocked, you know, <laughs> later mm-hmm. on. Right. You know, and you're right. And as an academic um, integrity issue. Right. It is part of our uh, professional duty. Right. Just like just like we would cite our sources. Right. Or we we would do that right as professionals. So I think that um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a good way. And then we often talk about like. You know, we often talk about what is you know, what what is cheating look like you know in, yeah. in in many different formats right then we sort of say like you know do you ever you know where does your music come from right did you pay for all the music right that's on mm. your phone right now did you pay for that like have you given credit for that right or like um i don't know like you know fake purses right or something along those lines right how you know like are we you know where what does cheating or plagiarism look like you know out, outside of this kind of and why does it matter right you know like you know, fake purses is a human rights issue, right? I mean, that's sort of like, you know, that, that's a whole other labor issue that we talk about. So there is, there's, there is um, real levity to this topic, even if it is like, no, that's a, that's a comma, not a full stop. You know, like, even if that's the conversation we're having, there's a reason why, you know, there, there has to be based on something. So again, going back to that relevance to them. Yeah, I agree. And then even circling back around to that, the, the, the essay writing bot thing, the major yeah. criticism of yeah. that was that it was it was taking information from sources without mm-hmm. citing it and and, and things yeah. like that. So, um, okay, yeah, and it makes a lot of sense in terms of obviously like working with INS. It's something we've tried to do this year a little bit in terms of making those first connections about how best to um, you know establish expectations for students and scale it upwards but um moving on from um so going again from niche to to rather broad um uh, is is the atls and the atls are um i think an ongoing conversation in in my school which is relatively new to the myp but i did i did read a book recently as part of something i'm doing for a, a master's degree uh, it was a book by um a, a british kind of academic called guy claxton and he talked about how education there's kind of three levels he, he uses the diagram of a river and if you're in the classroom there's the surface of the river which is like knowledge facts things like that yeah. and it's very easy to see mm-hmm. um just below that is like skills procedures you can still see it but it's a little bit harder to to gauge and at the very bottom of the the river slower moving is like dispositions and attitudes and culture mm-hmm. and stuff like that and mm-hmm. i thought that was such a a lovely analogy and it kind of made me think of atls a lot because you've got so many atls and some of them are related to skills i suppose and some of them are more related to disposition so um in english i suppose in any subject but obviously in english speaking personally or thinking personally about um like my practice what what do you think is the best way to implement atls in individual units and the curriculum holistically is there an ideal number of atls 
per yeah. unit, per yeah. year level, per per whatever. How do you um, approach it, Amber? Mm. Mm. I mean, if I had the answer of the best way, um, I would be <laughs> writing a book and making money. So I mean, and I'm sure. So um, I have I have one way. I mean, I have I have a, a way, uh, but I don't I don't know. Um, and and I think you 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 really. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, your, your point of it being both sort of practical skills, right. And sort of the, the skills that, that can showcase within our academic work, but also these dispositions of, mm-hmm. you know, you know, a, a reflective student, right. I want, I want you to be, I want you to be this type of person, right. And not just like as a student, right. I want to be reflective in my own life, right. I want to be reflective as a, you know, as a, as, as a spouse and, and a mother and a friend and, you know, a mm-hmm. traveler, like I, you know, I want to be, you know, I want to, um, I want to, I want to persevere, right? We, we want our students to be those types of people too. So I think that that's a really, that's a really important aspect. How do we teach that? Right. I and mean, how do you teach, you know, effective skills, right? Or how do I even assess that? Right. How do I, how do I know, right. That, that you, that you can persevere, or you can try it. Like, and, you know, definitely, you know, one of the things that I've so appreciated about being in an IB school, or, the, or at least the IB schools that we have taught in, the values of the institution are also the values of the IB. And I think that that's not always, it's not always true. Um, and so that has always been really important for us as we, as we search um, for, you know, for, for different jobs and search for different schools and, and institutions, right? I mean, these are really, schools are institutions, no matter what we, what we say about them, right? I mean, even if they are not for profit, Um that they're, they have values too. Um, and that they've also been the values of, of the Ivy. And they also believe in that, right. They also believe that you should be able to, you know, you should be able to make a mistake. Right. And then come back into the, in the fold. There's, you know, there's a lot of restorative um, practices in my job um, that we expect from our students. But if we don't model that, right. If the institution doesn't have that belief, then like students aren't going to do that. Right. They're not going to be like, I'm not, not going to show you that I don't know the answer or, you know, <laughs> like if, if we don't, you know, if we don't, if we don't give students that, you know, chances for retakes and that's, I just, you know, that's a huge issue. It's like talking about mm. dress code or something. Right. But like, but, you know, if we don't, if we don't have that belief in students that they should be able to, you know, to try and and actually learn something, then like, what, what are we in the business of? Right. You know, like, so, you know, I'm in a private institution and, you know, parents and companies and the UN is paying for, you know, they're paying for a service. Right. And so like, what is the service? Well, the service is that your child will, We'll learn something at the end of it. You know, they didn't just go through and we're passive or we didn't care. Right. So there, there has to be the, right. So we have to be able to have, we, we also have to have those dispositions too. Um, and then uh, like, when I mean, you asked a very practical question about, you know, how do we, how do we even go about planning approaches to learning skills? What's well, the same way that we would go around planning concepts or we go about planning mm-hmm. content, right. You know, like we're not, we, less is always more. Right. And I think there's, there's a real, there's a real uh, gift, I think, in this idea of a framework is that, and I know, and I recognize this is not for every school around the world, but it is particularly for our school, is that we have choice. Mm. You know, we have real choice in what what we want to teach and and how we how we develop the people, the students who are in front of us. And, you know, the the fewer ATL skills, like, because you, you've you've said, when you set out to that unit, the students will learn this. And you need to guarantee that, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the most important ATL skills then in this unit? Like, what are you going to formatively assess? What are you going to be working on? What are you going to implicitly, explicitly teach? You know, where, when you go through that, then you're only looking at one or two, you know, one category alone, maybe even like one cluster, right? Like we're, you know, we're just going to be focusing, um, you know, on, uh, uh, you know, on, on structure, right? That's all we're focusing on this year. This is a structure unit. We're looking at the structures of arguments. All we're doing. Yeah. I'm not- I'm even going to be looking, you know, there's no using language. I'm not interested in that right now. It's just the structure of your argument. And then it, you know, it really enables like, because that's the thing, like, I don't know if contract is the right word, but like, you know, we, we have a contract with our students, you know, whether it's informal or formal, right. That we've said that, you know, those students sitting in front of me in this classroom during this year will learn this mm-hmm. and what, you know, and what, so it has to be, it has to be focused. And of course, like we go back to, you don't fatten a pig by weighing it just because like you had, you know, six ATL skills doesn't mean you taught them. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we have to go back to this really, I mean, it's a curation. There is no expectation from the IB, right? If you, and I've seen that, um, you know, we have a two page document back to back 
of all the categories, all the clusters, and then all of the sort of individual skills, right? Yeah. They go in there. And I think there's, it count once, I think it's 142. But in the confusion is that there's an expectation that we have to teach all of those. And there's not, like there's not, there's even over the five years and my subject over that five year vertical alignment, we will not be teaching all of those because some of them just aren't relevant to my subject. Yeah. And we, and that's the thing we force, like, I think that there's a confusion between what's required from the IV and then, you know, what I, you know, like nothing should be forced. Nothing should be forced. Cause if it's unnatural, then it doesn't, it doesn't work for anybody. I'm not going to do it. My kids are going to learn, you know, so it has to be, it has to be relevant and has to be meaningful. Mm, I think there is. Yeah. Cause the, the amount of them or the, 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 the scope of ATLs that yeah. you could possibly sort of choose from there is there are obviously quite a lot but then i suppose the ib learner profile is mm -hmm. is quite a good sort of graduate profile for maybe thinking about those dispositions that you want them to learn because within our subject i was looking at the poster the other day um and i you know you think within certain subjects you are just implicitly or explicitly teaching towards yeah. things like yeah, yeah you know, being, I don't know, open-minded, maybe as long as you've got these anchor texts that are, you know, world literature, yeah. maybe teaching it in an effective way, blah, blah. But some of them aren't as, some of them aren't as easy. I think like caring or kind, if that's one, that's not one that we explicitly do. And I think that's an interesting conversation to, to have with teachers is about mm. like, can we actually explicitly teach towards that? Like to what extent, because in some schools you would obviously have a learning to learn curriculum, yeah. but even if you mm -hmm. did, I think there'd be an expectation that each subject mm -hmm. discipline is kind of contributing towards these dispositions that you want all students to have when they graduate and stuff. So yeah, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting like consideration. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I think it's so interesting. It wouldn't be, um, to go back to your caring, like one of our, one of our values um, at our school is to be kind. Mm. It's just, so like, you know, wouldn't it be interesting as, as a subject area or as a grade level team to say like, okay, well, wh where is kindness yeah. in our curriculum? Like, where do you, like what's kindness look like in your classroom? What does it mean to be caring, you know, as a year, as a, you know, a year five teacher, you know, with these grade 10 students who are doing personal projects and they're like, like, what does that mean to be kind? Like, what does that look like? So if we, even if it's not explicitly in our curriculum, our modeling of those learner profiles is more, I think, more powerful, or, you know, than than a, than a lot of like, how do yeah, how do I teach you to be caring? Like, how do I teach you to care? Mm. I don't know, but I can be caring, and yeah. so I can show that. And I yeah. that yeah, kind of goes back to that thing I mentioned before about the the guy Claxton thing. He sort of said that whether you want to or not, like if you're a direct instruction knowledge rich teacher, if you're of that kind of you know philosophy doesn't really matter you still are um maintaining or, or creating these dispositions for students in terms of how they feel about school and how they feel about themselves and if it's like well being kind and being caring isn't really a priority for us you've got to be worried about what you might implicitly be then communicating to students about the value of kindness or the value of being caring so but yeah fascinating um yeah well i suppose the only thing that remains for me to say um uh, amber is thank you very much for giving up your um your time a little bit of your morning where you are and um for offering all this information and obviously just um being a sort of vocal part of the things online obviously we we kind of connected through facebook but being part of that online community and all your service uh to the my community uh, nyp community more broadly so yeah thank you very much for uh chatting with me today Thank you so much for inviting me, Chris. It was an absolute pleasure.